evidence and answers. The goal of the news media was once to report the facts fairly and objectively. Today we know that is no longer the goal. The goal today of the news media is to persuade one's thinking to a particular ideology. How do we discern bias in the media? How can we identify truth from error? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat held his ever Zoom apologetics conference entitled Truth, Finding Clarity in Confusing Times. Guest speakers included Kirby Anderson, Zal Rana, Randy Manley, and our own Pat Zukran. Now with part one of Truth in Media is Kirby Anderson. Well, thank you very much. I hope everybody can hear me right now. Are you, is, can somebody tell me that they can hear me right at the moment? Because uh, that is certainly what I'm planning. So if somebody give me a thumbs up, make sure you can hear what I'm saying. And uh, then if we can, I wanted to begin talking about the subject of truth in media. First of all, I might just say aloha to everybody. I'm broadcasting here from Texas, but I would love to be with you in the future. So I'm looking forward to that opportunity. And uh, what I am going to try to do is hit share screen here and pick up uh, one of the things that's on my desktop. So we'll see if we can get that working in terms of the sharing the screen. And so that uh, hopefully is going to work for you. So I'm assuming some people will be able to see that. So again, everybody can tell me if they can, because what I really want to try to do is focus in the time that we have together uh, to talk about, uh, as Pat talked about, this idea of truth in media. And one of the things that we see is that uh, because the culture has changed, we've moved to sort of a postmodern culture where we no longer believe in truth. That is a really big issue. And so one of the things I would like to do tonight is really help you develop some discernment about the media. And secondarily, I think we all notice, those of you in Hawaii notice that, but those of us uh, even over here on the mainland notice that uh, because of the pandemic and because of the lockdown, what we find ourselves in is watching a lot more on screen. So I want to talk a little bit about also how to have not only discernment in determining truth, but also to develop discernment in terms of the media storm that we find ourselves in since so many of us are locked down. So those are the two things I'm hoping to accomplish in this next hour. And then, of course, we'll have a question and answer period for you to answer and ask questions and for me to try to answer them. But first of all, let me just simply say that if you open up a website, you go to a television program, you listen to radio, like my radio program, or you um, uh, maybe even uh, turn on the television set or open a news magazine or a newspaper, you recognize that we're really in the midst of a battle for truth. The reality is that we're going to have to perhaps have greater discernment as Christians here in the 21st century than ever before because we have this cacophony of voices coming to us talking about all sorts of things in the news. Now, one of the things that I want to pass on as we go through this this afternoon is the reality that some of the media bias really is fairly subtle. 
but to uh, maybe start the conversation a little bit, we do see some evidence of media bias even in the headlines. And I wanted to pick just three examples from the last week or so. And the first one you can pretty much see on the screenshot that I have from CNN. Here you have an individual, uh, actually a reporter, uh, actually standing in front of the fires that were taking place in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And yet if you read the Chiron, what does it say? Fiery but mostly peaceful protest after police shooting. Over the last couple of weeks, those of us that actually talk about the media have been sometimes even shocked at uh, what oftentimes is described as mostly peaceful. It is just a surprising argument that is being made. Uh, recently, I wrote an article, and that one was before this one appeared, and it was uh, one particular headline that I saw that said 27 law enforcement officers were hurt in mostly peaceful protests. And I think you can begin to see that obviously uh, people are trying to say, don't believe what you see. Uh, just believe what we say. And again, to be fair to this reporter, he's not the one that put the Chiron up there, but somebody did. And a while back, there was another one where they talked about violent protests. And I noticed they changed the Chiron within about three minutes to just simply say protest. So uh, it's a good example, I think, that many of us have seen of media bias. Another one came out uh, even before the Democratic National Convention, and we've had both the Democratic National Convention and the uh, Republican National Convention, in which uh, a number of individuals referred to Senator Kamala Harris as a pragmatic centrist. Now, it doesn't matter whether you like her, you don't like her, whether you're going to vote for Joe Biden or whether you're not going to vote for Joe Biden, whether you like Donald Trump or whatever. The reality is, if you go to any website, and I'll just mention VoteGov, which is one, and many others, when they do an analysis of the actual votes taken by U.S. senators, they concluded that the most liberal senator of the 100 senators is Kamala Harris more liberal in her voting record than even Bernie Sanders. So then to have somebody say pragmatic centrist, uh, of course, is really a misnomer, to put it mildly, and misleading at the worst. One other example I can use to get out of politics is to mention this headline that appeared first in the New York Times. Later, the New York Times, to its credit, did change it. But this headline then was found in one of the Seattle papers and many others in which it said churches are actually a major source of coronavirus cases. Now, that's the headline, but if you read the article, one of the things you would be struck by was the fact that actually they were talking about a number of churches, 40 in that particular article, where they'd had some cases of coronavirus popping up. And they then talked about a few hundred cases out of 40 churches. Well, again, there were all sorts of people that reacted to that. There's some great articles in Christianity Today and other blog posts. Think about this just real simply. A major source of coronavirus cases. First of all, there are 350,000 churches in America. 350,000 churches in America today. And yet we're talking about 40 churches. If you read more into the article, actually, almost half of the cases came from one church in Oregon, which was, I think, very irresponsible. So first of all, you had a few hundred cases 
out of, at that time, we had 3 million individuals that actually had tested positive for the coronavirus. Now we're past 4 million. And frankly, that number is probably low because we know a lot of people are asymptomatic. So a few hundred out of millions meant that it was about uh, two hundredths or maybe even like closer to one hundredths of a percent. So you can again see this idea of a major source of coronavirus cases illustrated one of the things we're gonna talk about this afternoon and that is the need for us to have discernment about what we read, what we see, and what we hear. Let me also though talk a little bit about the extent of media influence. And that is a number of years ago, a man by the name of George Barna, who I have on my radio program with some frequency now, actually wrote about the sources of significant influence. I won't go into all the details about how you figure that out, but he concluded that the sources of significant influence in American society today are movies, television, the internet, books, music, public policy and law, and family. And I think what you can begin to see is, is that these first five all have to do with the media. Now, what was so striking about that is that then he also went on to make another statement, and this particular article received more letters to the editor than any other article they had published up until that time. And the statement that generated so much response was that he was concluding that the church was not even in the top 10 or 12 sources of influence. Now, if you think about this, you know, think about Hawaii, say, 100 years ago. You know, we didn't have the internet back then. Music, you had to play it on a record player. I know some of our younger listeners are, don't even maybe know what that is. Maybe you had a little bit of television, but probably it was just getting started. You had a few movies, but you had nothing of the sort. And if you were to ask, what was so influential back then? I think you'd probably conclude that church and family were some of the most significant influences. And I think it's one of the reasons why, again, I was so grateful that Pat actually asked me to talk about this because the media is having a disproportionate impact in our lives. It's also having a very significant impact on the youth. Again, I hope you can see this slide because this is something that actually is a chart just full of numbers. Uh, done by the Kaiser Family Foundation, but I turned it into a colorful chart so that you can get to see a little bit better of what has been happening. And sadly, they were about ready to do another survey, which we really need, because the last one was done almost 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago when it was actually published. And so we really need a new one, and maybe eventually we'll be able to do that. But even there, you can see a trend. And that is, look at the blue. You'll see the television, the amount of usage. And this is a usage of young people age 8 to 18. So if you have a teenager, maybe you have a teenage son or daughter, maybe you have a teenage grandson or granddaughter, maybe you have a niece or a nephew, or maybe you're just doing a ministry in the church, look at how the amount of television viewing has increased dramatically. Number two, you see on the red is music, and that has increased dramatically because of the advent of the iPod and the iPhone. Number three, of course, the computer, because now essentially not only are kids spending time in front of a computer screen, they're also spending time in front of their cell phone screens. Video games, those have increased dramatically as well. 
And so in each case, you see it, it's increasing. Is there anything that decreased? Well, yes, reading decreased during that same period of time, and then movies increased as well. And so going back to 2009, and that number is much larger now, but even looking at that, you had 10 hours of media consumed in eight hours. Now you might say, wait a minute, how do you get 10 hours of media consumed in eight hours? Because of multitasking. If you have a teenager, you know, they may have the TV on, they may have their computer on, they may be listening to music in their headphones, they may be texting on their phone, and supposedly they're doing their homework. And you can understand that that is, again, a reason for not only should we begin to rethink the media exposure that we have, but we should also think about the media exposure of our children, our grandchildren, and others in our sphere of influence. And this is why, again, I'm so grateful that Pat allowed me to talk about the need for discernment. Okay, how do we think about this biblically before we start getting into some of the impact of the media? Well, when I look at my Bible, and I'm sure when you look at your Bible, I don't see things like uh, video games or television or an iPod or DVDs or anything like that. But I will acknowledge that there are basic principles that I think we can use to develop a biblical standard. And we see in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lusts. As soon as Paul says that to Timothy, what does he say? Well, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And so certainly we should begin to think about what comes into our minds, into our eye gate and our ear gate. And that is, I think, going to be really important. Number two, we should also recognize that some of the things that come in maybe manifest themselves in ways that aren't necessarily biblical. Here, Paul, when he's writing to the church in Colossae, says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, does that mean you could never read a book that has anger in it? Well, no, even the Bible has anger in it. Uh, but what it's simply saying is, is that a wise and discerning Christian is going to begin to think about the inputs and the outputs. I put myself through graduate school programming computers. Originally, I was a janitor at the Yale Bowl, and I said, they've got to do something better than pushing a broom and picking up after the football team. And so I began to do lots of computer programming. And one of the things we used to talk about then, and we still talk about now, is GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. I think a wise and discerning individual looks at what's the impact that uh, this particular media is having in my life, the life of my family, the uh, individuals in my church, and to reevaluate that. And finally, one last uh, set of Bible verses, and I have many more in a book I'll recommend in just a minute. Um, we can see that we really need to make sure that we focus our minds and our hearts on those things which are true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, we should be thinking about those things. So those are some biblical principles, but let's now, if we can see how we might want to apply some of those. And the first, and this comes from my book, Christian Ethics in Plain Language. This is a book that looks at a number of different issues from uh, abortion and euthanasia, genetic engineering, artificial reproduction, artificial insemination, as well as divorce and cohabitation and uh, sexual ethics and the environment and uh, technology and so many others. But it has a chapter on the media. 
And in that chapter, I say, first of all, we need to understand that the media oftentimes presents an unreal view of the world. Here's a news flash. Reality TV is not reality. I think you know that, but it's important to recognize that the more that you actually consume media, the more you are being conformed to that media worldview. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Number two, we should recognize that media oftentimes presents an oversimplified view of life. You look at these uh, situation comedies, you know, one-dimensional characters, easily resolvable difficulties. It's amazing how all sorts of problems get solved within 30-minute show, and that's just not life, and it's not reality. And perhaps the greatest concern is that oftentimes the media desensitizes its viewers. I think a wise and discerning parent needs to evaluate what are the ideas and some of the influence into the lives of young people that are actually in your household. And again, you can look at this in terms of your own family. You maybe can look at this in terms of the youth that are actually perceiving the world through the media. So let's talk about the impact of media. And I thought for just a minute I'd use television. Why television? Well, first of all, television is the most ubiquitous form of media, although I think the cell phone is now starting to overtake it. But almost every home has a television set. Matter of fact, more homes have TV sets than have indoor plumbing. There's a joke there, but I'll uh, avoid that. And if we look at the impact of television in a book I'll recommend a little bit later, and I do have this particular research one in my book on uh, the Christian ethics uh, book, Uh, is one that's kind of a classic to illustrate the fact that television does influence your worldview. It was a research done by George Gerbner and Larry Gross, researchers at the Annenberg School of Communication, University of Pennsylvania. The reason I use it is it's a very famous study. You can go to Psychology Today, find the back issue, and find the scary world of TV's heavy viewer. And what they found was something very interesting. They found that heavy TV viewers tend to overestimate their likelihood of being involved in a violent crime. Why? Well, because they see so much violence on television, they think the world is much scarier than it really is. Number two, they also found that the uh, heavy TV viewers tended to overestimate, vastly overestimate, the percentage of people involved in white-collar occupations. Why? because most of the TV shows are about people that are doctors and lawyers and businessmen and things of that nature. And they also tended to overestimate the percentage of Americans compared to the rest of the world, obviously, because most of the programs deal with Americans. Now, my point is, it's not that it's absolutely essential that you actually finish this evidence and answers seminar by knowing the exact percentage of Americans compared to the rest of the world. But does it not make sense that if I can show you how people's worldview is really skewed on things we can measure, likely to be involved in violent crime, white collar occupation, number of Americans, wouldn't it also make sense that it's also skewed in things which are more difficult to measure, like greed and avarice and envy and sexuality and all the rest? And I think there is lots of evidence to suggest And this is just one of many studies I could cite, but we're going to move on, to show that what you see, read, and hear does affect your worldview. Okay, does it also affect your behavior? Well, again, we have some pretty good evidence of that. Since I've been talking about teenagers, let's pick them. Uh, One of the studies came out from the Journal of Pediatrics a number of years ago, a study of adolescents showing that watching sex on television influences teens to be involved sexually. 
They see a lot of people sexually involved, so it lowers their inhibition. They get involved sexually. Matter of fact, there was a follow-up study that even showed that young girls that were teen girls saw that tended to be more likely to be pregnant. Another study, and this is one that's actually what's called a mega study, where they looked at over a thousand studies, including three done by the Surgeon Generals of the United States under three different administrations, both Democrat and Republican, they concluded there seemed to be a connection between watching lots of violence on television and subsequent violent behavior. Now, does it mean everybody watches lots of TV, they're going to be violent? No, they actually say a casual in some children. They put a lot of weasel words in there because they weren't trying to scare people, but they are saying that what you see read and hear does affect your worldview. And number two, we can even, and it's, there are lots of studies on that, demonstrate it also changes behavior. And that makes sense. In the last Super Bowl, we had people spending one and a half million to $2 million for a 30-second commercial in the hopes that just seeing that commercial would change your behavior and cause you to go out and buy that product. So Hollywood knows that, Madison Avenue knows that, it's about time for us as Christians to know that. So that leads to the whole issue of worldview. What are the worldviews that we see in the media? And again, one of the things I love so much about the ministry of Pat Zuckerin is he helps educate you about these worldviews and how they show up in all sorts of different ways. One particular type of worldview is what we call naturalism, or you could also call it atheism. You can look in the upper left-hand corner and you see Richard Dawkins. Here is an atheist, part of, if you will, kind of the dean of the new atheist, wrote all sorts of books like The uh, Selfish Gene and uh, The Blind Watchmaker, but also The God Delusion, the idea that you're deluded by believing in God. Down below, you have another individual that was part of the uh, idea of the new atheist, uh, wrote a book about the fact that God is not good. Uh, we have in the upper right-hand corner as well an individual writing at Princeton University and actually talking about the fact that uh, we basically can explain all of human behavior in terms of evolution. And then Bill Maher, who has basically had a career promoting atheism and making fun of Christians. Now, does it mean that I could never watch a television program that has a naturalistic worldview? No, I love to watch National Geographic and Discoverer and all that. And I recognize, as we're going to hear from Fuzz Ron in just a minute, that we have answers to the evolutionary argument. But it does mean that I'm going to have to have my discernment going on. I'm going to have to have maybe my baloney detector up there checking out whether some of the things being said make any sense. And of course, we'll talk about that in about an hour. Another worldview, which of course Pat has talked about as well, is the idea of pantheism, that all is one and all is God. Over left-hand corner, who's that? Well, Judah, you know, and this is the idea of kind of Zen Buddhism that was put into the Star Wars films, and we see that. We have Deepak Chopra in the upper right-hand corner and uh, Shirley MacLaine and the Dalai Lama. And so we have lots of sort of pantheistic ideas and worldviews being communicated today in movies and in various kinds of literature. And so, again, we can't uh, not read some of that, but I think we need to have discernment when we do read that or when we watch those movies. 
Another aspect is the occult, you know, Gnosticism, which you get in the Da Vinci Code. You get all sorts of things in the Matrix, you know, Gnosticism. You even get biblical references to uh, Zion and all sorts of things, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's a mismatch of all sorts of syncretistic ideas, Harry Potter and all the other kinds of movies and things that we see there as well. And then finally, one of the other worldviews is sensuality. Now, I might mention I had to be real careful to pick uh, some pictures here that weren't too gross, because as you well know, when you start talking about sensuality, some of this can almost turn you into a pillar of salt. But the point I'm making is simply this. We need to have discernment. So let's talk about that. Pat wanted me to talk a little bit about um, what is oftentimes called fake news. But I wanted to give you some history. Back when I was at Georgetown University, a colleague who was at George Washington University, Robert Lichter, along with Stanley Rothman, did the most extensive survey ever back then in the 1980s of the so-called media elite. You might say, well, that's a quarter of a century old. Yes, but the advantage of this is, is when he was surveying these people, they were really honest. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Hey, 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 hey,